Well, good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, be looking at chapter uh, 10, verses 19 through 25. Uh, this, uh, this particular, I, 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 I imagine you all realize that some very diligent monk somewhere back in church history put in all these chapter, head, chapter numbers and verse numbers for us to make it easier to find things. However, they didn't always get it in the right place because actually this right here is the transition point of this book. Uh, the, uh, the doctrinal or dogmatic section of the book is now complete and we're moving to exhortation and admonishment uh, or the practical application of what's going on. And this, uh, this, this section, 19 through 25, deals with well, what it really deals with is it kind of summarizes and takes us over with a, with several with with uh, with three three primary exhortations here to uh, to uh, that that other section that practical section it it uh, it, it takes us uh, it takes us from uh, the the proof of Jesus is better than fill in the blank everything um, uh, he's he's he is the one who who is superior to the angels. He is superior to creation because he is the one who did the creating. He's superior to Moses. He's superior in his priesthood. He's, he's from a different order. He's superior. Uh, he is the one who fulfilled the law. And he is superior to the covenant. And he has a better covenant. Those, those have been the proofs of, of, of uh, that the author, I don't think, I think I got most of them. But anyway, those are the proofs that the author has been presenting throughout the uh, the first nine and a half chapters of this uh, of this book, and now he's going to to start an exhortation to these people to follow through at, as a result. So uh, that's where we we move into when we get to uh, uh, when we get to verse nineteen, and he's going to he's going to uh, he's going to be talking about the fact that we have access to God because through Jesus. That's that's the bottom line. We are able to come into the very presence of God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to exhort us to do it in faith, in hope, and in love. Um, and, and uh, well, with that love is practiced in fellowship. And so uh, that's kind of the movement uh, that, goes through, uh, that goes through these, uh, these verses we're going to be looking at this, this morning. Hopefully, soon I can get new glasses and I'll be able to see because... I've got nothing that works after I had cataract surgery. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I apologize for having to adjust my eyes every once in a bit, every little bit. Anyhow, uh, as we, before we begin, do we have any prayer requests this morning? And we'll, we'll go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Margaret. Um, I would appreciate prayer for my father. Um, we've placed him. Um, he he he's at his home, but he, we've transitioned him from home health care to hospice, just so that he'll have more nurse visits and and you know a little higher level of care. And he's not saved, and it's just a struggle um, with the two of us trying to be there for him and continue with our high stress, high demanding jobs. Um, it's, the, yeah, it's just a lot of 
It's a lot right now. A lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bob, could I ask you to open us this morning? Okay, so we're going to first of all look at uh, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a, uh, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So here we, uh, here once again, we have one of these passages that begins, therefore, therefore, basically based on everything else that's gone before, but in particular, verses, uh, verses, verses 10, I think, of uh, chapter 9, where, uh, where it read, but deal, oh, uh, no, wait a minute, that's not right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we want to go back to chapter verse chapter ten, verse ten of chapter ten. Sorry, uh, chap, verse ten of chapter ten, where he where he wrote, "And by that will we have been, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all." And in in verse uh, and in verse eighteen of that text, he told us. We, uh, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, mm-hmm. that's the idea here. Given the fact that Jesus paid the price, given the fact that there is no longer a need for an offering for sin because Jesus made it, therefore, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So he says, there is a result to this. Uh, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus has opened the door for us. There, there is a result from that. We, can, we have confidence that we can enter the holy place. Uh, back in 416, he wrote, Let us then yet with... Uh, uh, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace, in, uh, uh, grace to help in a time of need. The same idea. He's repeating that once again. This is the idea. We can draw near to find grace. That's that's what he that's what he's wanting us to get. It's based on uh, our our assurance is based on the fact that we have a high priest who who back a few verses earlier has told us that he passed through the heavens, meaning that he is above and over. He rules the heavens is the idea there. Uh, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, and he is one who, 
who in all ways was tempted as we were. Uh, therefore, he is able to sympathize with us. All of these things the author has given to us in the past. Therefore, based on all of this stuff, based on the fact that Jesus is the one who sits above the heavens, uh, that Jesus is the one who, who paid the price for us, Jesus is the one who identified himself with us to take us into the presence of God, therefore, have confidence to enter the holy place. Uh, we have assurance that our high priest here has now opened the door that we might enter. That's, that's the idea he's wanting you to understand. He's wanting you to understand that you can come into the per- very presence of God. Understand to a Jew, and under- this course, this book was written to Jewish believers. To a Jew, the concept of coming into the presence of God was totally foreign. They had one guy on one day for a few moments who could do that. No one else could. So this is a, this is a, a revolutionary idea that's being expressed here. That Jesus, by his sacrifice, opened the holies of holies. That's, that's what he's saying here. In the, in the text and throughout the text, uh, he uses an old Testament reference that the Jews would have used. It was the normal usage they had of just calling it the holy place. Uh, but it's a reference to the holy of holies. It's a place where the presence of God resided. Um, um, and that, that's how they would have been understanding it. He, he, he opened the door to the presence of God. That's, that's, that's what he's saying here in this, this text. Uh, it is the, and, and he, he uses the reference to the curtain here. And of course, in Matthew uh, 27, 51, at the crucifixion, when, at, when Jesus, after Jesus said, it is finished, uh, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, according to Matthew, Matthew 27, 51. Uh, in, the, in the heavenlies, holy place, that curtain, there is no curtain. There is total access to God. And this is telling us Jesus opened that is the idea. And he says, he says, the access to God is open by the blood of Jesus. That We saw that back in, in 912. Uh, that's the means in the, or the grounds for the acceptance of his sacrifice is that it was a legitimate legal sacrifice acceptable to God. And Jesus paid that price. That's what he's. That's what he's. Uh, that's what he's re-emphasizing in this verse nineteen. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on and he 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 expands upon that a little bit. And he says, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. <clears throat> Once again, this was unthinkable to Jews. In fact, to, for anyone to have entered the Holy of Holies other than the high priest on a particular day after all the sacrifices had been given for both himself and the people, he would take the blood in to sprinkle it on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, anyone else would have tried that, they would have died. Just as, as an example of how serious this was in the in the in the Jewish culture, if you go to Second Samuel six seven, don't go there. But anyway, there's there. I'm sorry. There, if you were to go there, that's that's not not a directive to go there. But if you were, we don't have time to read that whole passage. But at any rate, if we were to go to Second Samuel six seven, there's a story there. There's a story. It's an event that occurred 
while the Ark of the Covenant was being moved. It was being transported. And a, a one, of the, one of the guys transporting it, by the name of Uzziah, slipped. And when he slipped, he grabbed the Ark to brace himself. He died instantly. This was serious business. This was serious business. So the Jews to the Jews, this was just unthinkable. This was a, a unprecedented thought that you could actually enter the very presence of God. And that's what Jesus is telling him here. He's telling him, he's saying, by a new and living way, you can enter the presence of God. You were told that Jesus brings us into the real presence of God. That's the idea here. Uh, the blood of animals made a way only for the high priest to get through the veil for just a moment on a single day. The blood of Jesus tore open the veil and allowed believers permanent uh, allowed believers entry, entry permanently and continually that's the idea that's being expressed here uh, we 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 are we we should live our lives in the very presence of god that's that's the idea here and, and then he uses this word new he says a new and living way i can't explain english translators sometimes why because almost every bible i looked at says new and living way the Greek word for new is freshly slaughtered. That's what the Greek word is. What this text says is a freshly slaughtered and living way. What's being expressed here is the new covenant was purchased in Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. He was slaughtered. That's, that's basically the idea. And it's guaranteed because he arose. It's the resurrection. Both of those are being spoken of here. Uh, the sacrifice, his human flesh, he was freshly slaughtered, tore the veil, and his resurrection made the living way because he conquered death. That's, that's the idea. Uh, to give everlasting life to those who place their faith and their hope and their trust in Him. Uh, that's, what he, that's the idea here uh, that, he, that, he's, that he's expressing in this verse. Uh, this is the, the new and living way. He did it by sacrificing Himself on our behalf and then demonstrating that it was acceptable because He rose from the dead and He takes us with Him. That's, that's, that's the picture that he wants us to understand here. His sacrifice gave to us, who put our faith in him, eternal life. Verse 21 and, and 22, we'll take those together. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, which kind of goes without saying after the verses that we just looked at, that's, that's just kind of a flat statement of fact. He's, he's our great and high priest, Jesus. Uh, there's a sense of double secure, uh, uh, assurance here uh, that we have in approaching God. We have confidence in his blood, his once and for all sacrifice. And secondly, because he is the high priest over the house of God. That's, that's the idea here. He is the high priest over the house of God. And it's his sacrifice that made this this acceptable. We're, we have assurance in Him. If we have our faith in Jesus Christ, we have our faith in the One who saved us, and we have a faith in the One who rules over us and rules over the house of God. That's the idea here that's being expressed. And He goes on and He says, Since we have this great high priest, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he goes on and then he says, he says, he says, we're to, we're to come with a sincere heart. Sincere is a word that means honest, genuine, committed, dependable, without, without deceit. It has the idea of a complete trust in the gospel. That's, that's what we, we trust in, that Jesus' word is absolutely truth. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, thy word is truth. Now that's that's the that's the faith here, and he, or that's the uh, that's where we are to place our faith. We're to have full assurance, not partial, not limited, not maybe, but assured of of faith. Faith is a word that uh, I think I mentioned this before. I counted this. Uh, faith is used thirty three times in in uh, the English Bible of Hebrews. Most of them are going to be in the next chapter. Because it's a chapter on faith. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a major theme that runs through this book. Faith. He says we're to have sure, uh, full assurance of our faith. Uh, that the place where we have placed our faith is an is, is a, is a absolute guarantee. An absolute guarantee. Huh? Oh, I thought somebody said something. Anyway. And the idea here is, if 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 we believe, if we believe, and and we have a sincere faith, a complete faith, one that has no deceit in it, one that is one that is genuine, then we can uh, we can be fully assured. You know, I it's it's kind of, you know, they people talk about faith and they go, well, you, you know, they 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 kind of blow it off, you know, but you realize every day. Uh, in the human sense, you operate in faith. I mean, you operate in faith that the chair you're sitting in isn't going to collapse. You know, now, when you go to the grocery store, you operate from faith that that food is edible and it's not going to hurt you. You know, uh, and when you go to pay for it, you operate a certain faith, although you may be foolish in this one. But anyway, you operate a certain faith in the government that they can back the money you just used. You know, all of those things are, are, are ideas of faith. But saving faith is a lot different because that faith is generated out of your own will. You know, you basically, well, I just believe this money works. So far it has. But anyway, uh, so that's, that's a faith that's generated out of your own will. But saving faith requires a different object and a different source. Well, we make a decision to place our faith in Jesus. That, that decision has to be preceded by a decision by God. We call that doctrine election. God chose you before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. The faith itself to believe is a gift from God himself. So while, yes, you humanly exercise a decision, that decision was made in eternity past by a loving God who who in his own good purposes decided to save me and you. That's a, that's, that's a thought that, 
that is just powerful. It's just beyond powerful, I think. Mm -hmm. It's not based in me. It's based in the God who I place my trust. Mm -hmm. And then he says, he says that he sprinkled us clean from an evil conscience. This is back to 914, where he says, he says he cleansed, that we were cleansed from an evil conscience. This is part of what, what salvation did. It not only removed the sin, with that, what this verse, what those words actually mean is, he not only removed the sin, he removed the guilt associated with it. You're no longer guilty. You were acquitted, if you will. That's, that's the idea here. He says we're sprinkled clean, and he, he pictures here, if you're talking to Jewish, Jewish believers, they would have understood this really clear. He, he says he sprinkled you clean. That was the act of, of, of the Day of Atonement in the temple. They sprinkled everything with the blood. That's the picture here. And that's what, what you're seeing. You're saying, he sprinkled you clean with his own blood. He cleaned your conscience. You no longer bear the guilt. You no longer bear, bear, the, you no longer bear the sin nor the guilt. That's, that's, what he's, that's what he's wanting you to understand. It says he sprinkled us clean. This cleaning of the heart uh, basically refers to a satisfaction of God's justice. In that act, God justified you. Uh, justification is a theological term that basically has the idea of being a forensic act. It had nothing to do with you. God himself declared you just. That's, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, it's, it's a legal action that God took on your behalf. That's, that's, a, that's what he's saying here. And he did it by sprinkling, by completely washing this away, by taking this away uh, by the sprinkling of his gl- uh, blood. It could be called either positional satisfaction or positional sanctification. It's basically God's, God's, God's action in Christ's sacrifice removes sin and its guilt. You're cleansed from that evil conscience. And then he goes on, and secondly, he says, not only that, we, you were washed with pure water. This is the, pra- the other side of it. It's the practical sanctification, or what is often referred to as uh, <coughs> positional sa- or, um, progressive sanctification. Uh, it re- it re- it refer it refers to the idea of now being conformed to Christ. Now, a lot of commentators really tie this heavily with baptism, but baptism is a symbol of that. Uh, it's what identifies us with Christ. It 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 verifies it. It basically is saying that these things are true about you. It's a picture uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, it it pictures us being identified in Jesus Christ. So that's the idea here. But basically, this idea here is 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 that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.8, that we are being changed, Paul says, we are being changed from glory unto glory. That's the process of sanctification. The Holy Spirit working in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the idea here. Uh, you can also look at Titus 3.5 and Ephesians 5.26. All of these have reference to this. So, so when we come to this, he's saying, this is what he's done. He said, brother, we have confidence to enter the holy place. We have confidence to come in there because of Jesus, because he 
paid the price and he arose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And earlier he's told us that and he's seated at the right hand of God. He is the one who is over heaven. He's the one who is the high priest over the house of God. And as a result of that, draw near. Don't stay away from God. Draw near. Run to him. Is, is the idea here. The, the admonition is to draw near to God in faith. Stay close to him. We get into trouble when we get away. Well, when we move too far away, that's when we get into trouble. Stay f- close to him. Understanding that, that you have been cleansed by his blood. And through the Holy Spirit, you are being made into conformity with Jesus Christ. You have right standing with God, and he's making you right. It's kind of the idea. And then secondly, <clears throat> excuse me. Secondly, verse 23, we want to come close to God by, by hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here we're to hold fast our confidence, unwavering confidence in the hope that we have placed in Jesus Christ. Hope uh, is, is, is a word that means to have a favorable or confident expectation. Uh, Colossians 1.27 says, Do them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this, uh, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In First um, Timothy, oh, there it is. First Timothy one one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God our Savior and Jesus Christ, our hope. These are, these are the ideas that he's, he's, he's going to talk about now. He says that that hope is to be unwavering. Wavering basically is the word that means not leaning. Uh, not to be leaning as to fall over. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, there's, I, looked, I did a little bit of, of looking around and seeing adjectives that described hope. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.16, it says that it calls hope the good hope, that, that it has a sense of goodness to it. Uh, Titus 2.13 says it's blessed, the blessed hope. It talks about the blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would fit right here, a favorable, a favorable uh, confident expectation of Jesus' return. First uh, Peter 1.3 says it's a living hope. It's not just something you put on the back shelf. It's something you live. It's lived out. Uh, in Hebrews 7.19, of course, used its favorite word through the whole text. It's a better hope. It's better than anything else. There's nothing superior to it. That, those, are, those are some of the ideas that go with that. Uh, we are exhorted to hold fast. And basically, that's a present tense verb that means you're not just to do it once, you're to do it continually. It's not something you ever stop doing. You hang on to it. You grab hold and you don't let go. 
That, that, that's the idea. You're constantly holding to our confession our, of our hope, which is our trust. Trust that the gospel is true, that Jesus will do what he says he will do. If you go through Hebrews, I, I listed a bunch of references in Hebrews that basically say that same thing. Uh, 3, 1, 4, 14, 10, 23, 13, 15. All of them talk about our confidence, uh, that, that whole idea. It says that we are to be that, that we are to be sincere in all of this. We are to we are to have a true heart uh, on our confession. Uh, that it's a sincere faith. That it's not unwavering. We don't lean to the left or the right on it. We stay right in the middle. We stay right on target. Is the idea that he wants us to understand here. And he goes on to say that we are to, uh, and, and, and he notes that our hope is in God. Uh, it's not on, not on how I feel today. You know, it's not, I don't feel very close to God today. It's, well, you're not any farther away than you were ten minutes ago or five minutes later. It's always the same. And we're to understand that, and we're to hold on to that. It's, it's not uh, based on what's going on in world events today. If you read the news, it's pretty depressing. You know, and and it's it's not based on that. It's based on the reality of God. It's based on our hope is to be placed in Him. Uh, that's that's the focal point. The focal point is to be God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. That's that's what He's telling us here. Hope is something that we confidently expect to happen, and we are to hold to it. And never let go. The problem here with the Hebrews is there were some who really weren't holding. Uh, there were some of them who were being torn. And there's some some of us today who are being torn. Uh, we're just we we look and we say these things like, well, how could God let that happen? Well, I don't know, but it's his purposes. Because he is God and I am not. And he raises up the nations and he takes them away and he rules over all things and he is sovereign. And he is working his plan to the end. And I don't have the knowledge to judge that and neither do you. So we're to hold fast with a sincere hope, a confident expectation. That's, that's the idea that he's asking here. And then he says, he says it's all based our base our notes that our hope is based not on how we feel, not at the moment, but on the promises of God and alone on the promises of God. And they are to be based on them because he is faithful. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Those are rhetorical questions. Of course he spoke it, and of course he will do it. First Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We put, we're to put our confidence. The idea here is our hope is to be in God who is absolutely faithful. Uh, when our faith fails, his, he is still faithful. Yes. This is so encouraging to me. This is so precious because... Even though circumstances with me, it, it's not what I see, but my 
my hope, my faith. Yeah. So thank you. You know, I, 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 I those, those that came from Grace Community with, with, uh, with me, who have said in my classes, have heard me say this a dozen times at least. But um, one of the, I think, one of the most important things for a believer is when things get tough, uh, when things are rough. I try to practice this. I will have to admit, sometimes it takes me a little while to get there. But, uh, but uh, when things are tough, when they're really rough, what you have to do is remember your history with God. You have to stop back and think about what you, where God has taken you, where you started and where you are now. And it doesn't matter if it's only been a short time or a long time. If it's a long time, you've got more history. But, and it probably means you're older and don't remember it all. But anyway, but at any rate, it's, look back over the history that you have with God. How has God led you thus far? How has God worked with you? Because I can look back at things and I can think, these are really bad circumstances. In my career, I was a, I was a supervisor with the fleet department for the city of Bakersfield. And uh, um, we were in a period where the guy who was my immediate boss, who I had already been tagged to replace because they wanted him out, um, he was not, he decided he wasn't going to go. And uh, um, uh, he kept saying he was, but he decided he wasn't, wanna, he wasn't going to go. And uh, as a result of that, because, you know, when you, have, when you have people coming up to you and saying, when are you going to get out of the way so John can take over? So he decided, well, I'm going to see what I can do about this, you know. And I told Kathy, I said, the day he does that, I'm gone because I, I knew where I was in my retirement. I was already 65 and I promised him I would stay a while if I got the promotion, but we were already two years into it. So I basically said, that's it. I'm done. I make the same money leaving that I do working. So why stay? <laughs> so, so I left, but I didn't, you know, I really want, I really thought, I really thought that's where God was taking me was to that job. And I was going to have an opportunity to do something one week later. One week later into retirement, we, uh, we went to pick up our grandchildren in Las Vegas. My daughter and son-in-law lived there. And on the way back, we stopped to get snacks and potty time and that kind of stuff. And Kathy never came out of the bathroom. And finally, she comes out on this lady's half carrying her out of the deal. She blew out her knee and had to have knee replacement. For the next year I spent, this one told me, I said, you know, I went from running a $20 million budget and supervising 44 people to uh, nursing her, being the chauffeur, the cook, and the house cleaner. And she says, oh, you became a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, but the reality is, had I taken the superintendent's job, had I got that job, I could have never taken care of her. It would have been impossible. And I, I look back on that and I go, yeah, that's a sovereign God who knew exactly what was going to happen. Because she had to wind up having that other knee as well. So it was a year, you know, that we, we were, went through this. You know, that's God. He's sovereign. He looks at these things and he says, this is what, this is what needs to be done. And this is when it needs to be done. And even a hard head like you, I can get through to once in a while. 
you know. So, so it, anyway, that's a long way of simply saying, remember your history with God and, and hang to him, you know, because he knows what he's doing. Even when you sometimes think he doesn't, he still knows what he's doing. Yes, <laughs> shocking. Yeah, but anyway, that's true. So anyway, uh, verses 20, uh, 24 and 25, expressing love and fellowship. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here, probably we need a little bit of historical background. We've talked about this before. Understand this was written to Hebrew Christians, first century Hebrew Christians, who were, I believe, outside of Jerusalem. Um, I believe it's written before 70 AD. So the temple is still in operation. The priesthood is still in operation. It's probably not long before 70 AD, which means within a few years, they are going to see the absolute destruction of Jerusalem and the total destruction of the Jewish religious system. It's going to disappear. It hasn't reappeared, incidentally. I mean, I know there are synagogues here in town, and there are people who call themselves (coughs) Jews, who are Jews ethnically, who go to synagogue and think they are religious, but they are not practicing. Judaism because there is no high priest there is no priesthood there is no sacrifice that's Judaism that's gone God ended it he sent a guy named Titus Epiphany a Roman general and his troops and they took care of it it's gone and a few years after that the uh, the government of Rome which up until this point had been had been very uh, who didn't care about Christianity at all. It was, in fact, the Roman government understood Christianity to be nothing more than a sect of Judaism. And so as a result, it was a legal religion, and they didn't care a hoot about them. You know? Uh, but then there was a Caesar by the name of Nero who uh, seemed to think he needed to rebuild Rome in his own image. And as a result, he, he had a redevelopment program, which was called arson. And uh, he set the city on fire. And uh, uh, his plan didn't go too well. He, he burned far more of the city than he intended to. Um, and uh, the fire got out of control. And uh, his plan was, in burning the city, is he was going to blame the Jews because he didn't like them. They were a pain. They, they caused Rome a lot of trouble. And so he thought, we'll blame the Jews. The problem was the fire burned out the Jewish quarter of the city. Guess where it stopped? At the Christians. So he blamed the Christians. And from there on, imperial persecution of Christianity began. It wasn't equal over the entire empire. There were some places where it was harsher than other places. But it did, and it went on for the next Two and a half centuries, I believe it is. It went on. That's where these people are in history. They're right on that precipice of 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 Israel. Excuse me, Judaism being destroyed and Rome coming after them. They also are living in a society, in a community that is Jewish. They are ethnic Jews who've received Jesus Christ, 
which means their family has, for the most part, disowned them. They're out of homes. They're out of jobs. But family members are still saying, come back. Some of them may even be keeping a foot in Judaism and a foot in Christianity. That's the setting for this two verses. That, that's the setting for these two verses. He says, let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. First of all, he says, let us consider. This is, again, a present tense verb that means don't just take this under consideration. It's keep it under consideration. Be considering this all the time. This should be another focal point in your life. You should be drawing near to God. You should keep that sincere heart and hope uh, that is present tense all the time. And you should all the time be thinking about how we stir one another to good works. And that's applicable to us, too. That's not just to them. That's to us. That's to everyone. Stir up is a word. Is an interesting word. It means to provoke. It means to, to sharpen. It means to stimulate. It means to incite. It's most often used as a negative. Um, as, as it is in Acts 15.39. You know the story. It's Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Uh, John Mark had gone on a missions trip with Paul and Barnabas. The two had gone together. In fact, if you go on early in Acts, it says Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and all of a sudden it goes Paul and Barnabas. He takes the lead. Uh, Barnabas was kind of Paul's, one of his mentors for a while. And then Paul kind of took the lead. After that, he was elevated to the rank of apostle. And on one of their missionary trips, they took with them Barnabas's nephew, who was a young man, John Mark. Um, he became overwhelmed and ran home. They're getting ready to go on their second missionary trip, and Barnabas wants to give John Mark a second chance. And Paul says, no way. I can't trust him. Now, I, I don't know all that went on here, but basically the text of the, the text of Acts 15 says they had sharp contention. It's this word. It's this word they're translating stir up here. Um, it says they had sharp contention. And in fact, uh, the Greek wording, wording of this, it has para before the Greek word for sharp, which means alongside. Uh, so alongside sharpen is, is the idea. Uh, so it can go. It can go either way. Now it's used a negative. It's it's also used in scripture as a negative positive. If that's not a contradiction, but I'll, let me explain. Uh, in First Corinthians thirteen five, it says, "Love is not provoked." Mm-hmm. Same word. Same word. Here, love is to be provoked, but in a positive sense. In other words, we are to stimulate, incite, sharpen one another, provoke one another to love and good works. 
That's, that's what he's telling us to do. That's, that's what he's saying here. James 2.8, in his summary of the law, basically says this. If you really feel... Uh, if you, re- if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. That's the idea here. Uh, we are to stir or stimulate or provoke one another to love. Romans chapter 8, ver- uh, no, chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more than uh, how much more that we are, uh, how much more that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? That's that's the idea here. We are to that's where we are to have our our sense here. God, God demonstrated his 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 love for us while we were sinners. uh, um, Christ died for us. That's, that's, the, that's the idea here. Based on that, we are to provoke one another to love. The word of love here is agape. In, thir- in Romans 13.8, Paul calls the commandment to love one another a continuing debt. Something you will always owe. And in verse 10, he says... Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, or, uh, yeah, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 10. For we, are the, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them and understand that that follows... Saved by grace. You understand, this, this, is, this is our purpose. Our purpose is, one, to provoke one another in love, and two, to be involved in the works that God has set for us. As a result of our salvation, as a result of the grace God has shown that we can't earn, because verse 9 tells us that it's not, not by works, lest any man should boast, but we are to work. That's that's the that's the flow. He saved you by grace, not by works, but he saved you so you could work. You can't work before he saves you. It, it's of no account. That's the idea here. He says he says this is this is the idea here. This is the fulfillment of the law that we provoke continually. We never we never pull back from this. That we we are continually. You know, basically, it says we're continually involved in each other's lives. That's what it says. We're looking out for one another. We're provoking one another to love, and we're provoking one another to serve God wholeheartedly. Uh, those are the ideas here that he's saying in this verse. As a result of what Jesus did for you, this is the debt you owe, according to Paul. That's, that's, that's what he's saying here. And then he goes on, he says, not neglecting the meeting together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you say that, as you see the draw, the day drawing near. You know, I think uh, one of the things, my experience in, in church has been 
when you see people that start not coming, you know, not everybody misses it now and then. You know, you have a cold, something comes up, you know, there's always some, some to do that you, you miss. We missed last Sunday night. We didn't really want to, but there was, it was just the circumstances of the night, so we watched it on TV, which I really don't like to do. I'd rather be here. But nevertheless, nevertheless, occasionally that happens. But when you see people that don't show up this week, and then they don't show up next week, and then they don't show up the next week, and they're not on vacation, <laughs> and there's not some big emergency in the family or something like that, some, some kind of thing of that order, but you just start seeing them pull away. And when they do come, they're, they come in after the service starts and leave before it's over. You know, when you start seeing that as a consistent marker, you're beginning to see this. They're pulling away. They're, they're moving away. I think this is one of the areas where the previous verse comes to play. You're to be going to them and encouraging them in love and, and to continue in their service to God. There's going to be some kind of a problem. And often, very often, when somebody is caught up in something that they ought not be doing, that's when you see this happen. Uh, they don't want to be around you because you remind them. But they need to understand that their sin has been paid and the guilt is removed, and they need to just exercise 1 John 1, nine and get back home. That's, that's the idea. Now, Paul, or Paul, Sorry for the Freudian slip there, but anyway, uh, it's a, just a major indicator of love when people forsake the assembling together. They're pulling away. Historically, as, as I already said, uh, these believers are being pulled away by their society. Now, they're trying to pull them back into Judaism. Stop and think about it. If you're a Jewish mom and your son and his family go off to that crazy place over there called a church, what were you going to do? You're going to try to get them to come home. You know, that's only natural. Uh, but here he's saying, he's saying, no, you can't forsake the assembling together. That can't, you can't let that happen. Do not meet together as the habit of some. It, it also is saying, you can't be a Christian alone. Understand that. You can't be an island unto yourself. We need each other. That's the idea here. You can't just say, well, you know, the church organizations, they're just, they're all hypocrites. You know, you realize if you don't want to be around people because they're hypocrites, you've got to leave the planet. <laughs> you know, that, that's the bottom line. And, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying, don't forsake the assembling, as some people do. Don't do that. That's not healthy. It's not good for you. Early he warned. Early he uh, warned not to follow the example of unfaithful Israel who deserted God in the desert. Um, in three twelve, he told them that don't follow that example. Don't follow the example of those who desert God. Something doesn't go to your liking, so you say, "Oh, to heck with it all." Don't follow that example, but encourage one another. 
And there are going to be times we're going to be down. There's going to be times when we doubt ourselves. There's going to be times when we doubt God. And those are the times you need the assembly around you to lift you, to hold you, to, to, keep, you, to keep you near. That's, that's the idea that he wants, he wants expressed here. And then he goes on and he says, he says, and be sure you do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the day is one of these words that causes a lot of issues. It's one of these days that people put, put all kinds of meaning to uh, that isn't really, really true, as we've already talked about. For these people, the day is going to be 70 A.D. They're going to think the end is here. And if they don't think the end is here when 70 A.D. happens, when they get marched into the Colosseum, they're going to really think so. You know, that they're, they're going to see that as the end of times. There were a number of people in the days of World War II that thought, that thought Hitler was the Antichrist, you know, and the Pope was, of course, the false prophet, and Mussolini was somebody. I don't know. They were, but they, they identified all these guys, and they believed that the end of the world was there. And I suspect there were some people in Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki that thought the end of the world was there. And I suspect that there are a bunch of people today that are looking at what's going on in the newspaper and on the television and thinking, we have a madman with thermonuclear weapons, and uh, the end of the world may be here. I mean, they're talking about World War III all over the place. Uh, the Iraqis uh, rocketed our embassy yesterday. So, you know, uh, China said, don't send any help to Taiwan, which means probably. You know, but he says, as you see the day drawing near, but the day in Scripture, basically, while it's used in several ways, its basic overall mean is simply this, from, the, from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. That's the day. It's a long day. It's a daylight savings time day. And we don't know how long it is. But understand this, it's one day shorter. And as we see the day drawing near, each day that goes by, we are to, we are to encourage one another all the more. That's, that's the idea here. That's the idea here. And all along that time, we should be praying Revelation 22.20. Amen, come Lord Jesus. For the believer, because of the tension of the world in which we live, uh, because of the, the things we see going on, and we've got to keep in perspective that there's a sovereign God in charge of all of that. He knows every bit of it, and he knows where he's taking it. As a result of that, it's all the more important that we assemble together as believers in worship in fellowship, and in service. That's, that's our call. 
that's where we need to be. We have a high priest and apostle who who rules over an unshakable heavens, who has opened the door for us to access God, and we are to exercise faith, hope, and love as we worship and gather around him. Are there any comments or questions this morning? Let's close. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that, uh, that you and your sovereign will chose to save some of Adam's fallen race. And the Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, took upon himself our sin. He removed it from us and put it on himself and paid the penalty for it. That he was that he went to the cross and, and bore all of that and died and shed his blood on our behalf. And that, Father, he arose from the grave and overcame death in so doing. He opened the door to heaven and he opened the door that as, even as we pray now this, this morning, we're in your very presence. And we thank you for that. And we ask, Father, that uh, we who have put our trust and our faith and our hope in you uh, would be a people who love one another, who serve one another, but primarily serve you for your glory and for your honor. And we just ask that for the rest of the, this morning and our worship time, that we would continue in that, that we would glorify the name of Jesus, and we would raise our praise to you our God. And we thank you in his name. Amen.